let's make sure we're reading things in context, not just cherry picking interesting things. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. With me today, we've got Tracy. Good morning. We've got Karen. Hello. And we have Eric. Hey there. I took last week off from recording, and and uh, I was up in northern Wyoming for a wedding. But, and you know, weddings are fine if you like weddings. Uh, but uh, the cool part for me was we got to, since we were so close to it, we went over t- and saw Devil's Tower last week, which I've seen oh, before. Nice. And Well, my wife and I have seen it before. My kids hadn't seen it before. So it was really cool to get to go see that. And we, we actually took the hike around it. Some things were closed up there. They're doing some construction, getting ready to land a spaceship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was part of the fun of walking around it going, hmm, where would they have built that giant lot where they had all of their temporary buildings and stuff for that. And you're like, we're standing in a spot. And they're like, well, it probably would have been right about here. And you're looking around and going, there's no way they would have done that here. <laughs> you know, but it was still pretty fun. You could look up and see some of the things where maybe they filmed stuff for uh, Close Encounters. And, uh, you know, the gift shop down below, of course, is f- all full of all kinds of alien stuff. And I don't go in for the alien stuff myself other than I think it's kind of fun. I don't. I don't know that I uh, necessarily believe in them or, or or believe that they visited. You know, I think there's. Well, we've spoken in Job about life on other in other worlds, and think it's probably out there. But the idea of of them visiting us is is um, just not really on my radar personally because I have a tendency to think that we are all in a quarantine of a real quarantine here on planet Earth where yeah. nobody gets to come or go, um, at least not for. Very far. We've been to the moon and they talk about wanting to go to Mars. I don't remember how long it's been, but they said we would go to Mars within 15 years. And um, I've got my theory that that won't happen. I could (laughs) be wrong. We'll see. But I just have my theory that that won't happen. And who knows? Maybe I'll have to expand my borders. Maybe we get the solar system. I don't know. But um, I just don't I don't see it happening. That's just me. But anyway, so that was a really cool, natural Thing to see because we also last minute decided to go see Mount Rushmore, which is also very very cool and slightly but, less natural and slightly ne- less natural. And because of that, we all kind of were of the opinion that Devil's Tower really is the is the better was the better of the two things to see. Uh, we just we were especially my youngest. I was surprised he's kind of the budding artist, you know, and I thought he would really like seeing the carvings up on the mountains, and he was kind of like. Eh, it's all right, you know, and uh, he really loved Devil's Tower, and we just, we loved walking around it and looking and seeing how, you know, you'd walk 20 feet, and you'd look up at it again, and it's like a completely new new thing you're looking at. Yeah. But, uh, so to start our discussion this morning, though, I was curious, what uh, what's probably the coolest natural uh, structure or, or, or area that you've ever been to or seen? Oh, man. I th- um, can I just answer with, like, South Utah? <laughs> sure. Zion, Bryce, uh, Canyonlands, Moab. I mean, those places are just uh, on. They're just, they're just, it is. I mean, forget Mars. I'll let them go to Mars, man. I'll take Utah. Mm. 
Yeah. The first thing that came to mind for me, because I, I've been to Devil's Tower and I've been to Rushmore, and I had the same impression. Like, on the one, it, it'd be like looking at the pyramids as as compared to like one of the natural wonders of the world, like the the pyramids or Rushmore. That's man made, so that's kind of cool in one way. But then, like Devil's Tower, like that's not man made. Right. <laughs> so that that's it's kind of cool in a different way. So the first thing that came to mind was the Grand Canyon, because to stand at the north end of that thing and look down it, or to take a trail down into it, it's just so huge. And when you think about when you think about what had to happen to the Earth to form that, it's kind of like thinking about what had to happen to the Earth to form the, the Rocky Mountains that wind mm-hmm. all the way up the nation. It's just so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I might have to take another trip there. I haven't been there since I was a kid. We we were on our way to California. I was about 12 years old, and that's the last time I ever saw the Grand Canyon. So I need to see it again. What about you, Tracy? I would have to say Mount Everest was mine. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I forgot that you were there. Yeah, we're saving that for last. yeah yeah so uh just give us like a quick little cliffs notes of what you did there tracy because you can't just drop everest on our listeners and not explain that (laughs) we did a lot of walking (laughs) a lot of of gasping for air um no i think it was just the whole not only was it looking at the mountain and all the stops and just, I think it was the journey, the journey getting there, you know, the, the people, the stopping at the different monuments and historical things that they have there to commemorate people trying to go up and the lives that were lost trying to go up. Um, I think it's something that just kind of sticks with you forever. Yeah. Although, you know, that being said, too, I think um, another one of mine was when I was in the Navy was being just in the middle of the ocean. You know, you sometimes you just take that for granted. Yeah. You know, uh, storms, tropical storms while you're in the middle of the ocean are just, they're magnificent. You know, electrical storms on the ocean are, are magnificent. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it just makes you sit back and just, just honestly, and it's, I know it's kind of cliche, but just, you know, um, just to say God is good. Everything yeah. is just miraculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, your Everest trip, you just went to base camp, right? I mean. Um, we did. We went actually went a little bit higher. There's another place that's called um, Kuala Pathar. That's another another um, hike up. It's even higher. And that's yeah. where we ended up going. And base camp there, though, that that is at about what? Somewhere around 14,000 feet, isn't oh, it? It's 18, isn't it? Is it 18? Yeah, oh, wow. 18 so, in Kuala Pathar is a little bit more. I think you get I think you get into the 19s. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So my I mean, my the only closest I've ever been, I did Mount or I did uh, uh, Long's Peak here in Colorado. It's the Oof. only four. It's only 14 or I've ever done. And then my knees just decided, no, you're not doing that ever again. Um, but I really wish I could because it was, you know, it was it was a it was a fun. It was a cool journey. But then I got up there and it was completely cloudy and rainy and I couldn't see anything. But but that's just, I mean, a little perspective. I mean, the, the highest thing I have to look at here. When I look to the west and look at the mountains, is is long speak, and I can say, yeah, I've been there, and that felt really, really high. But my gosh, you're, you're I mean, basically before the mountain even starts there at, at Everest, you're already higher than that. That's amazing. Yeah. That that would be something to see. That would be really, really cool. All right. Well, today we get to start a new book in the Bible. We're starting into the book of Numbers, 
Now, numbers, let's just say numbers isn't quite as sexy as some of the stuff we've read so far, or at least what what we read this week. The number the, the the name is kind of apt because really it is a lot of at least the for the first few chapters here, it's a lot of statistics. And as I was reading through it this week, I kept thinking of you, Tracy, because you kept coming you keep coming at things looking at at um a lot of the things pointing out that God is a God of order. Yeah. And that really came out to me yeah. uh, in this reading. So it's like it's like what we're going to – most of what we read this week has a lot of probably historical significance more than maybe spiritual significance. But maybe you guys got some, got some different insights or deeper insights than I did. But let's jump in here. So it starts out with what it's calling the first census of Israel. And every they're going to count every male who is 20 years or older, and it says who is able to go to war. Now, I don't know about you, but if I find myself out following a guy through the desert, and all of a sudden he wants to count me to see if I'm able to go to war, I start to uh, I start to wonder what's going on a bit. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I just it's it's um it's an inventory basically, and this is interesting because. Later, they are told not to do this. Yes. And when David does this later, um, there's actually a plague that comes on Israel. And so I think that, to me, brings up a point is like, sometimes God says, do this. And then later he says, don't do that. But he he makes it plain. It wasn't like they did it and then they didn't know. Um, I found... Yes, you mentioned orderly. Yes, I thought of that, and Tracy's mentioning that. I also thought of how handy it would be if Moses could have just copy-paste, because there's there's just a whole lot of that stuff going on. Um, Was this a few questions you had to answer and hit enter? That's right, just again and again and again. Um, I did find it interesting, though, is that we were going through all the tribes of the people, I just thought, I was like, you know, I'm just going to write down the names. And we end up with 13 tribes. This is another one of those places mm-hmm. where our literal understanding, I still don't have my head really around how this works with biblical stuff. It's like, it's the 12 tribes of Israel, except there's like 13 or 14 <laughs> or 12, depending on how you count them. Right. You know, we have Joseph and Ephraim counted as one tribe, and then Manasseh as another, and then we didn't count Levi at all. Like, they're they're set aside somewhere else. And I just think that, I, I guess I say that to say things are a little more fluid there than, than maybe we take it to be straight up a literal thing. And I, I don't have anything to make of that except just to note that I saw it. Mm-hmm. No, I did notice that too. It's one of those times where it, it's it's always interesting to me that Joseph just isn't named as a tribe of Israel at all anymore. Right. You know, it's 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 his kids that got that got kind of inserted in there. You know what that makes me think though? All of a sudden though, is that grafting in? Where do we where do we talk about that grafting onto the tree? Oh, that's Paul. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And sort of. So it seems like maybe that's that, that seems like sort of the kind of thing here happening where where Ephraim and Manasseh got got included here and Joseph just sort of pulled himself out that he's still obviously very important uh, to the history of everything and and uh, and such and yeah Levi being pulled out completely because of, of this well they weren't going to be fighting you know except 
except in chapter 3, the, the Levites are specifically, their job is to keep guard. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're, and so it's this fascinating that it's like, they, they weren't the, the pacifists of the, of the uh, group. Remember how they got set aside as Levites was through, you know, uh, violent oh, defense of yeah. God. And so kind of like our mind is like, oh, okay, right. The Levites, they don't fight. It's like, well, no, wait a minute. The reason they're Levites is because they did take up the sword and they're the ones who protect. So it's, we, we want these black and white things in our minds. It's like, okay, it's this or this. And it's just, it's not always that simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's important to remember through, I think it's a good lesson for us to take throughout the entire Bible is just remembering that we're not, we're not presented with black and whites. We're not presented with always, you know, the thou shalt not. So a lot of times you you get basic principles, you get concepts, you get... Yep. Um, ideas that then you have to you have to form and decide for yourself how you're going to apply it and it's not going to be the same for you it's not going to be the same for me um, yeah and it's not the same over time in the sense that and I don't believe that God changes I think he's working no. with us because one of the shifts that I saw happening here is I just can't help but think of this is in chapter 3 you know, we've got chapter 3, verse 10, to where the, the duties of the Levites are, um, and it says, And you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall guard the priesthood. But if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. Okay, so we've got that. And then in the New Testament, Paul's like, we're all, we're a, we're a priesthood of believers. Everyone's a priest, including the Gentiles and the slaves. And, and the Jews are probably like, wait, what? But I thought I thought in Numbers it was just like, and so my point with that is, is that God is on a journey with us. And it's not him that's changing. He's trying to bring us along. And I see people cherry pick stuff from the, uh, from the Old Testament here or New Testament and say, ah, look, see, it says in this one verse that this is the thing. And it's like, yeah, okay, but what about all the verses before and afterwards, mm-hmm. you know? What do we what do we do with that? Like we've read through um, in when we read in um, Leviticus here and there, God says, this is an abomination to me. And and there are some who are quick to pick that up and say, oh, that's it. We're going to preach against, you know, X because that's an abomination. But here's the deal. I'm also reading through Proverbs at the moment. And again and again, Solomon uses the word abomination. And Solomon's thing is lying lips. Mm-hmm. lying, being dishonest is an abomination. And he goes over and over with that. It's like, well, we don't talk about that so much. <laughs> right. And so my point is, is that um, these things are, I think, good to keep in mind to say, where is God's character in here? Where are the principles in here? And what does that mean today? Yeah. I think, too, that when you look at, at it, as you were saying, it gives us you know, the black, the white, the grays, too. But it also serves as an example of, you know what? You're not the only one that's gone through this. Um, you're not the only one that's made bad decisions. And this is kind of, you know, what happens. And 
and that there's always a way back. There's always that grace that we had talked about before. And it's like, um, here's, here's some examples of how that works and how that's happened and how even with Levites that one minute you're, you're kind of put off in a sense. And then, you know what, you still have the chance to redeem yourself when, how they took up and didn't go along with worshiping the, the golden calf and how they're rewarded and how that they are looked upon like a priesthood or the priesthood. So those examples. You know, I think that I, I think, you know, what you were saying, Eric, about how this stuff isn't the same over time because God's trying to reach us where we are. And I, and I have seen that it, I think it you know plays out in these sort of sweeping like nation by nation or culture by culture small group by small group, but then there's like the individual version of it as well. And I'm remembering a friend of mine who, you know, was going through, he was a, a, a regular church attendee, but he went through this, he went through this period of time where he had a lot of personal confusion, like his personal life was in chaos and, and, and like, he just kind of didn't know what to do. And so at that point, what he craved from God was more order mm -hmm. and more law. Right. Mm -hmm. And and I remember just laughing because right when he's in the middle of his dilemmas and he's trying to figure out, like, put some order in his life and figure out what to do next. The holiday season hits and all of the sermons are now about, you know, Jesus coming as a baby to save the world and God loves everyone. And he's like, this is so frustrating to me. He goes, I know that the gospel is about love, but I just want to hear sermons that are more black and white. Can we just get back to some sin in here, folks? <laughs> You know, and, and and it was, you know, it's funny when he said it, you know, he's this guy, he's in his late 50s, and he's just struggling with like the, the grand scheme of his life. So I get where he was coming from. And fortunately, God is big enough to accommodate all of those needs. But he just was like, I just I just want the holidays to be over so we can get back to sermons about sin. And oh, man, <laughs> but you know what that feels like? You know, like sometimes you want that bigger, that bigger thing to be in place that says, no, this is how things are going to be, you know, yeah. and then other times you're in a, per a personal place where you want the love and you want the generosity and, and you, you know, you want just this lavish grace, you know, God's big enough to, God's big enough to dish all that out. Yeah, that's right. Well, we get some historical context here of the way things were laid out. We've spent a lot of time over the last few episodes, several episodes talking about the the sanctuary specifically and what it was like but now on the outside of it we get to see how the people would set up in relation to it and god wanted them to set up in a particular way and it's interesting he kind of sets them up at the points of the compass mm -hmm. but this compass is more um oriented to the east rather than north the way we would think of it if you remember the the sanctuary that front door would always face to the east. And that's the way it gets laid out here. And God himself basically divides the tribes up into four forces. He calls them, you have the forces of Judah, the forces of Reuben, the forces of Ephraim, and the forces of Dan. And the Judah consisted of Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. Reuben consisted of Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. Uh, you had the forces of Ephraim, that was Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. And the forces of Dan was Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. So Judah would start on the east. And whenever they would break camp, Judah would be the first ones to start breaking camp. Second to break camp then would be on the south, that would be the forces of Reuben. 
on the west would be the forces of Ephraim, and then on the north would be the forces of Dan. Now, in the middle of all of this is the sanctuary, and then tightly, it seems, around the sanctuary then would be the would be the um, the Levites, and they would have their own order to be around the sanctuary. Uh, let's see, you would have, uh, let's see, the different sons of, of uh, Levi. You'd have the uh, Gershon, they'd be on the west. You would have Kohath on the south, Merari on the north. And then on the east would be Moses and Aaron and Aaron's sons. So, so all of this is very orderly, very specific, very, obviously, the entire society, the entire society, Anna, I could say it. The entire society is is centered around the sanctuary, and that's a very interesting way to think of living because we don't so much do that anymore. But like I, I don't know, it was a week or two. Maybe somebody here said that was their entire life was really their religion. It was all based around their relation to God. So different from what we're from what we're used to today. Now, numbers three, it starts talking about the sons of, of Aaron and uh, Nahab and Abihu. We remember they had died because they hadn't followed instructions properly. So you have El- Eleazar and Ithamar, and these guys are priests under Aaron, and they all serve in the tabernacle. Now, you, you, somebody said here that the outsiders who come near are going to be put to death. Man, I mean that really tells you how serious. They took this sanctuary stuff and how serious God intended them to take the sanctuary. You just didn't go. You just didn't go to there, to that place. Very different from uh, from our perspective today. I mean, I, yeah. I I kind of equate the sanctuary to a church. It's like, well, you're always welcome at church. But back then it was like, nope, if you're not one of us, you don't even come close. What are you going to say, Eric? I was going to say that if we take the premise that that God himself does not change, then the idea of taking God's presence seriously and the centrality of their relationship to him, maybe in our casual society, we've lost some of the, should we say, value of the grandeur of God. You know, it's, it is true. Jesus was born as a baby and, and, um, and he wants to be personal and, and friends with us. But at the same time, it's like I can't help but think of Tracy was just talking about the like the thunderstorm on the on the uh, ocean. I've never been on a ship like that and just been surrounded by nothing but ocean mm-hmm. and seen that. But the, I've been in Alaska and in the mountains there. The, the thing that came to me is like, man, I'm nothing. Like if I died out here, it would it would impact this world like the death of a bug mm. like it's just just like I'm, I'm i'm not the center of everything and i think in our western society we've unfortunately come to the place to where we every one of us believes that i'm the center of everything everything revolves around me and that is a makes for i think a very dysfunctional society very unhappy society and it doesn't seem to flow from what i read in the old or new testament and so the significance of order and we'll get to this in chapter four and seven again also is that there are certain things it's like this is 
this is okay, this is how it's to be done, and this is not how it's to be done. And we in the West have become so individualized, it's like, you know what, any way I want to do it is okay. Mm-hmm. Anything is okay as long as it's okay with me. And I don't see that theme running through the Old or the New Testament, honestly. I'm just reading... Um, uh, Corinthians and Paul is having to deal with some of that spirit of like, I, we can do whatever we want. And Paul is like, you know, but what you do influences other people. He was talking there specifically about eating food sacrificed to idols. But um, I just see that as, that, that, that as I read this, that God is saying, hey, there's order here. This is okay. This is not okay. And I think that once we get that compass bearing set, we were like, you know what? God is a God of order. He is. Then he can give us more grace. You know, it's like my son, when he was little, you know, two, three years old, I would not let him plug or unplug anything from the wall because I didn't want him, you know, short circuiting and shocking himself. Mm-hmm. Now that he understands to some degree the principles of electricity, I let him plug and unplug things. Right. I don't yep. let him wire my house. We'll save that for Matt. <laughs> but um, I can do it. Yeah, but it's, it's so once he understands, it's like, oh, hey, look, there's danger here, and when you stay inside of these boundaries, it's powerful, but it's okay. And then as one learns more and more, you can do the things that Matt does and really actually make things work with electricity. But it's you have to understand the principles of these things, and just because Matt understands the principles doesn't mean he's careless with it. I don't think. No. No, you get careless, you get hurt, and it does not feel good. I can, I can tell you that. <laughs> you know, and so, and so, to I see that, and, and I think we kind of just we went past it pretty fast. Is is that in uh, Numbers three, Nadab and Abihu? Um, it's kind of like a reminder. It's like, oh yeah, remember those guys? Yeah, they were dead because they brought unauthorized fire before the Lord. And we may say, oh man, that's like harsh. It's just like, why is that such a big deal? It's because God kindled that fire. He said, mm-hmm. this is me doing this. And by you're doing these sacrifices, you're acknowledging my grace and gift. You're not appeasing me. You're acknowledging what I'm doing. And what these guys did, apparently, is they brought their own fire, which I think has significance when it comes to worship, salvation, and all these other things. We don't bring our own stuff. You know, yeah. God provides. They brought the lambs, yes. But the lesson of that is when we covered this with Abraham and his son Isaac is that God provides the lamb. God provides the fire. And when we get into this mode of like, well, I can bring whatever I want to. And then that's my sacrifice. It's like, that doesn't cut it. Okay, Cain. That worked out really well. Right. That too. <laughs> right. That too. Right. So I think that that's why it goes to the importance of this order and the importance of understanding our scale in, in things and I don't I think it's to our loss that we lose comprehension of the significance of these things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, oh, were you gonna say something, Karen? Well, I was just so so the the thing that I got I'm still reeling to find out that I'm not the center of things. Is that hmm. is that what I well, got out of that? Like would you I like to, would you like to talk to the manager, Karen? Oh my goodness, I cannot believe you just went there. <laughs> moving on, moving on. Hey, if you didn't act like a Karen, <laughs> I would treat you like a Karen. 
No. Chapter three, it, it kind of ends up with an interesting concept here where the Levites get dedicated. And it says, instead of the firstborn. Yes. Uh, chapter, verse 45, take the Levites instead of all the firstborn. We've already, now we talked back, I think it must have been um, Leviticus, talking about how all the firstborn of everything was supposed to be dedicated to God. Right. And, but now here, God is saying, you know what? Instead of instead of you dedicating all of your firstborn and all of your first of your livestock and all that to me, I want the Levites. I'm going to take Levites for myself. So they had a redemption, I don't know, clause put in place here where they, in order for the Levites to be able to take that place, each, there was five shekels paid for each firstborn in order for um, them to be redeemed and then the Levites to take their place. Now, this isn't talking about like a sacrifice thing. This is just talking dedication. And because the Levites, the Levites job was definitely very different from everybody else's. Um, you know, they, they specifically, the Levites were there to take care of the sanctuary. And, and, um, we got a little idea of who got to carry what everybody had to carry something there. Oh yeah. Chapter four, boy, it is, mm -hmm. it is there's no wondering what do I do today? No, <laughs> no. And I guess we could, we could go there. Um, Yeah. Because it does talk a little bit about who got in charge of what uh, in chapter three, but chapter four gets a little more specific, where everybody between thirty and fifty years old was expected to take some part in this, and this is in the in the Levites that is. So the sons of Kohath, they specifically would kind of take care of all of the implements inside of the tabernacle. They would carry the ark and the table. And all those dishes, the lampstand, the altar. Uh, but this would be after the priest had gone in and covered everything up. I thought that was really interesting, too. You did not. I mean, nobody, nobody walked inside that sanctuary until the priest had had opportunity to go in and cover everything up in a very specific way. Yep. Basically getting things out of sight. I thought that was interesting how... how um, how that worked. Even though they were supposed to carry this stuff, they still didn't really get the, I don't know, honor of being able to actually look at it with their own eyes. Yeah, and my understanding, I don't, I don't, I don't know if it was in here, but my understanding is that somehow the way they did this is that they would go in and, like, maybe they walked in backwards, maybe they closed their eyes, but even they didn't see it. Mm. It's kind of like this, they just didn't, that was that revered. I don't know. It's yeah. It was it was a lot of structure to how this goes, which brings yeah. me to a part that we read. We'll have to read this again in the future. But I'm going to skip ahead with your permission, Matt. Here and just yeah, read a ahead. little bit from Second Samuel six. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. And David and all the house of Israel were making merry before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Okay, so what's happening here is that they are moving um, the ark of the covenant back into Jerusalem. It's been outside of Jerusalem. David says, let's do this. And I've heard a lot of people say, well, it's because they had so it's because they were making merry and because they had um, 
music. They had they did the wrong music. They did the music wrong. This goes mm. to church music war. Okay. <laughs> Too and many drums. So, there you go. <clears throat> and so, but let's listen to this. And Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there before the ark of, beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had burst forth against Uzzah. And, and David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to the city of David. So eventually they do. Basically what happens is they go back and read this, that we're looking at numbers. So it's kind of like, a, I mean, I hate to say, it, but I will. How many things did they do wrong mm. in, in, in 2 Samuel 6? So as we look at this, I mean, how, how were they supposed to do this? This is review. How was mm -hmm. the ark supposed to be moved? With poles on their shoulders. They were supposed to carry it by hand, not put it on, on a cart. And yeah, so who carries it? Just anybody? The Kohathites. And not only that, but the specific ones of the Kohathites. Right. And it's supposed to be covered and with a specific cloth with a specific color and carried by hand. And as I recall, they would like kind of take some steps forward and then do a sacrifice and then to get it kind of like going again. I don't know that they did that every time they moved in the Old Testament, but um, like th there was some really, and it says right here specifically in 4.15, the sons of Koath shall come to carry these, but they must not, they couldn't even touch the things, mm -hmm. but they must not touch the things lest they die. These yeah. are the things of the tent and the meeting of Kohath. And the, I mean, so like, from, from, from them to go from this very, 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 very specific things to go like, you know what, this is toss it on an ox cart and just kind of hang on to it as we go through the ditch. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that being said, too, though, I think it's back to what we said probably in the beginning, and we probably said it a few times during, is that when you fail to follow the instructions of God and insert yourself in there, keyword being self, yeah. bad things happen. Yep. And here's an interesting, interesting, interesting thing, because we talk about grace in the Old Testament and so on, too, is that regarding this exact same thing, the Ark of the Covenant, spoiler alert, gets captured by the Philistines in the future, and the Philistines move the, move the, um, the Ark, and they mm -hmm. move it by ox cart. Right. They even put it in the temple of their gods. And although they are oppressed by some um, some kind of tumor things that show up on them, they aren't all struck dead. They load this yeah. thing by hand onto an ox cart, and there's no record that they're struck dead. And then they send it back off to Israel, and there's no record that they're struck dead as they as they do this. I believe this is just you guys. I'm this is this is my theory here is they didn't know better. They didn't have they didn't have Leviticus. They didn't have numbers. They didn't know how this was supposed to be done. They had no sons of Kohath there. They were doing the best. They literally were doing the best they could. They weren't ignoring the instructions and saying, well, how are we to know? It's like, well, you could have read it. That They didn't have that. And God kind of gave them a little bit of extra space. I've always really appreciated that text in the New Testament that says that God winks at times of ignorance. Yeah, it really speaks what to him. 
he, he's not this, he's just not this dictator up in the sky. He does have expectations for us, but. But you have to know those. But you have to know the expectations to be held to them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I just, we're going through a rental turn. So we've got some new renters in a place. And as I tell them, I said, look, what I've expected of you is in the lease. Like I, I'm, I'm not going to surprise you with some new rule and punish you for not knowing the new rule that I never told you about. But I am telling you right now, I do expect you to know and abide by what's in the lease. Mm -hmm. So don't come, don't later when I come and find a party at your place and kegs all around, if you're hitting fines or troubles, don't say, oh, we didn't know because you did know, because I'm telling you right now in this document what I expect. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, let's see. Verse nine, it talks about you, you, you touched on this, how each duty was specifically given out spe to specific men as they as they came forward. Like, I mean, if you showed up, OK, you are going to carry this. You are going to grab that thing over there. You are going to do this thing. It was very specific. It wasn't just the free for all of, OK, Kohatites run in and grab everything. <laughs> you know, you know what you're supposed to do. Let's go. No, the priests were there directing traffic the whole time. And and very specifically giving instructions to each person who came in to do something. So the Gershonites, then they would get to carry, sound like pretty much everything made of cloth. The curtains, the screens, which served as doors, all the hangings of the courtyard, all the uh, most of the cords of things that were, I guess, tying things together. They would carry all of this stuff. And they, too, would get assigned very specifically, you go carry that, you go carry that, you go get that. Uh, the sons of Marari, they would carry, you tell me which, who, who get, I don't know. They carry all the boards, the pillars, all the sockets, the pegs, and all the cords involved with those things. So I don't know who gets the better, <laughs> who gets the better load here. Because we find out later that when an offering got made and there were some oxen and carts that got given... The Kohatites didn't get any of that because, and we'll get to why that, but the Kohatites, like we said, they specifically carried everything on their shoulders. They didn't get to put things on carts. They had to carry all that stuff. And you remember how much we talked about how much of that gold was going to weigh and all that stuff. So um, I'm not sure if you, uh, not, I'm a, I guess everybody had a job. I'm just kind of wonder who, who, who liked the job better. This is what it reminded me of. It reminded me of my time in the military. And when we had to pack up our camps and leave when we were in the desert and that kind of stuff, if we all tried to do it at once and we went to another place, things were missing. Mm. It's true. Yes. And if you assign specific people to a specific task, then the chance of you getting there with everything you need is much better. When you have somebody just concentrating on the poles, just concentrating on, you know, on um, other specific parts, it ensures that everything gets there. Because if everybody tries to help pack everything up and has the best intentions, something's going to get left behind. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I thought well, you I got the tent pegs. You didn't get those? <laughs> I th oh, geez, we have to go back and get I, those? I you to get those. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, you know, just about any time you have a big project, if you don't have somebody specifically in charge to direct people, it just turns into into chaos. I mean, I, you know, you know people, you're going to end up with people standing around going, well, I don't know what to do, you know, even if they're willing to do stuff and um, they don't know what to do. And, and uh, then 
yeah, uh, people getting in each other's way, and yeah, you got to have order. It's like like Tracy's constantly saying, got to have order. Rock, uh, uh, rock groups and roadies are coming to mind. <laughs> with all of the setup and the takedown and the details and which wires do we own and which wires belong to the facility and like the roadies mm -hmm. in charge of the wires know the difference. They look at it and go, oh yeah, that's ours. Take that. Nope, that cable isn't ours. Leave that one here. Yeah. Yeah. You got to have, you got to know, everybody's got to have a job. They got to know specifically what they're going to do. It just makes it more efficient. It makes it orderly. Uh, it just makes it work better. Yeah. So the Levites got their own census then. And it was interesting, sort of interesting. They, this census was only for men fifty years and up, instead of starting young. Just, a, just an interesting number. But uh, so, of those men, they had a little over eight thousand of them. Eight thousand five hundred eighty is the number that we were given. So that's just the Levites. That's just the men fifty years and up of the Levites who would be camped around the sanctuary all the time. This would have been an interesting thing to see. I mean, that would have been just a sea of people all camped around this, this sanctuary. It's a lot of people. I mean, that'd be a lot of tents, lots of people milling around, a lot of stuff going on. This would have been interesting to see. Mm -hmm. And I think just, just flash forward here when we have um, Balaam show up to curse the children of Israel on behalf of mm -hmm. the Kings who are afraid of them. Mm -hmm. Just kind of think what that would look like from the from a distant mountain looking. It's it's not going to look like just a big wild random sea of people. It's going to be so organized. Yeah, I mean, I guess if those were the people coming towards my kingdom or through it, and I looked at it and I saw how absolutely tidy and organized that was, I'm like, oh, okay, man, this is not just some band of desert dwellers. This these people are a machine, and that would hit me in a different way. Yeah. Well, it makes me think right off of times when they just wanted to pass through somebody's land and the kingdom would be like, mm, no, you know, maybe, maybe that was why. Maybe they just were too, it looked intimidating. Y yes. I think that's the word that you would get I, from, because how would you organize that many people? I mean, that would say a lot about just looking out. I mean, you've got millions of people and they're perfectly organized. That would make yeah. you wonder. It's like, how do they do that? <laughs> yeah, it would strike a little fear in you. And I think, too, you know, back to what Matt was saying, when they would ask kings, you know, when we were fast forwarding a little bit, when they get inside Canaan and it's like, you know what, we won't take your king's highway. We'll take this other one and we won't stop to the left and we won't stop to the right. We can just go through it in an orderly fashion. We won't have our livestock eat there that they could do that. Yes, mm -hmm. that would be evidence of that, too. It's like we're not just a wild bunch of yahoos. Yeah. Well, we get into numbers five, and some of this stuff we've talked about previously, where we talk about how ceremonially unclean persons, people, would be isolated. And some of this makes sense to us today, doesn't it? Where we need to make sure that things don't get spread that we don't want spread. Now, so they're talking ceremonially, but this would have, you know, this would have included what we talked about as leprosy, and we've talked about how leprosy was probably more than specifically leprosy, but, you know, any kinds of communicable diseases um, need to separate them out and to be set outside the camp, and it said that so that they may not defile their camps, just uh, part of that order. There was talk about confession and restitution here. Talking about how sin, I wrote down a quote here, sin is unfaithfulness against the Lord. 
That was the definition of it that it gave. Unfaithfulness against the Lord. Now that that talks specifically, I guess it speaks, sounds specifically like something intentional. But I think yeah. we've we've demonstrated here that sin is not always intentional. Sin is sin is really anything that doesn't follow the way God intended things to run. And sometimes we do that on purpose, and probably more often, maybe, we do it accidentally. Or things happen that really aren't even necessarily in our control. I don't know. I'm going to I'm gonna disagree with you there, Matt. That's I don't fine. know that we could call it a sin. Well, maybe we can. I don't know. Maybe it's worth talking about. If, we, if we're in... Or is there a difference between a sin? Well, actually, you know what? You know, the Bible's out to answer that question for us. Because remember, there were sacrifices for those who sin unintentionally. Mm-hmm. And there were sacrifices for those who sinned intentionally. So, right. yeah, I mean, I guess that's answered the question is that there are times when there was something committed and it, like it comes to mind later, like, oh, that was wrong. Well, it goes back to that Hebrew word for sin, which was kata, which literally means falling short. Falling short of the mark. Yeah. Um, so, it you know, even even accidental, even unintentional, it can still be yeah. sin. See, we have to wrap our brains around a different concept of sin. Sin is not necessarily being naughty. Sin is falling short of God's plan. You know, we've, 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 we've put a different connotation on the word than I think really should be there. But, um, but yeah. so the idea of this confession and restitution then is when you are aware... You were expected to confess, and then you were expected to make restitution. And mm-hmm. it sounded like here, if you specifically did something against another person, because you would make restitution to them, yeah. and you, if if they you weren't able to make it to them, then you were supposed to get, do restitution to a relative. And if there was no relative to make restitution to, then your restitution would go to the priests. And that restitution would be cost of I mean, whatever cost would be put on whatever you did plus 20 percent we've talked mm-hmm. about that how that mm-hmm. how that uh, costs a little bit extra now there was a whole section about unfaithful wives this was sort of an interesting bit of of reading essentially if a wife cheated on her husband or even if a man thought his wife cheated on her then there was a process to go through to the jealousy offering. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of, it was sort of there to, to decide um, if she was guilty. It would, I don't know. (laughs) Obviously it it doesn't, it doesn't fit into our modern day way of thinking of how to do things. Um, But apparently it was effective for them. So I struggled with that. This this section, I'll admit I did it. too. I did too. I yeah. was I was struggling. Like one of the things came to my mind is like, so where's the test of the man's adultery? Exactly. Yeah. And I was like, so this doesn't seem fair. Now I had to kind of go back and think. All right, so where were they in the world that women didn't have the rights that they have today? And I think this goes to what we just spoke of earlier: is that God's on a journey with us, dealing with us as fast as we can handle things. That this it's, it's interesting. And in verse. 30, it said the woman shall be set before the Lord, which is really interesting because this was not an issue of 
where to where they could adjudicate this. You know, because let's suppose the guy who accuses his wife of this is friends with the judge. The judge would be like, yeah, I'm going to take sides with the guy. This was very specifically God is the judge here. And that's the only thing I can make of all this, this the ritual, I guess we'll call it, of writing the words and pouring water over it and having her drink the water and all this other stuff, mm -hmm. is it puts it squarely in God's court. And so this idea of some jealous guy... Um, you know, we were talking, Karen, about counseling and someone like this and maybe having worked in the court system. Are there guys who are a little bit out of line and jealous and just a little bit unhinged? Yeah. Yeah. That probably hasn't changed over time. Can anyone say domestic violence is not placing the situation before the Lord? There mm. you go. Yeah. And so here is that she would be defenseless, except she's sitting before God. And when they do this test and they do the thing, it's over, man. It's like, oh, you think that she's that she's done wrong and you have this high hand over her? No, God judged. You go home and shut up now. I mean, like the, the, with a period at the end. The very last verse, um, if you read that through a modern point of view, you can feel your hackles go up. Or I, yes. as, as a woman, can, at least yes. can feel my hackles go up. The husband sure. will be innocent of any wrongdoing, but the woman will bear the consequences of her sin. Like that, that's, that's an inflammatory sentence to me <laughs> right there. <laughs> but if you back it up a little bit and, and you, and you see where it says when feelings of jealousy come over a man because he suspects his wife, the priest is to have her stand before the Lord and to, and to apply this entire law. So the husband becomes innocent of wrongdoing because he takes his jealousy and he processes it before God. Cool. That's, that's why a good point. Yeah, that's why he becomes innocent, because he doesn't take it into his own hands. He doesn't fester it until he loses his temper or lashes out or starts stalking her mm. or whatever. He takes it to God and says, I need a solution. And then mm. she stands there and is either innocent or guilty before God. Wow, that's cool. That is cool. I, yeah, I was sort of with Eric. I was like, why does the guy get it? Well, I guess it wasn't the... It, that's not talking about the 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 man who may or may not have been cheating, but yeah, the no. husband, the husband had a responsibility there to to do this in the right fashion, and yeah. I'm glad you pointed that out, Karen. Thanks, because that yeah. that cleared that up. And well to balance this, let's just flash forward to Matthew five twenty seven. <laughs> this is Jesus speaking. You have heard it said, "You shall not commit adultery," but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. And so we don't have the, again, we could look at this and say, whoa, where's the woman? How come she doesn't get judged? Is I think Jesus is probably calling out the right gender here. And he's saying, no, you don't get away. You don't get off free. And maybe culturally, these guys had felt like, eh, you know what? We're not held to any kind of other standard. It's just the women. And Jesus is setting it straight again. He's like, no, no, no. You know, God's standards for you is not just your actions, but it also goes to your heart and your mind. And so that to me was kind of the counterpoint to these. And I've I very, very much 
think Karen's point is spot on that his job was to take it to God mm-hmm. in, here in numbers. And that when he does that, he has done what he needed to do. If you track backwards, I remember when we were reading Leviticus and it went through all the sexual laws, like don't sleep with this person, don't sleep with that person, don't sleep with that animal, don't do this, don't do that. The vast majority of those were directed at men. And I got a little bit hackles up in the opposite direction. Like, where was the instruction to women? Like, how come they, how come it didn't just say, hey, people, Mm. don't do these things with, with, with these people. Like, these relationships are off limits to you. If someone is in this relationship to you already, blood, marriage, whatever, like, don't, don't make that sexual. Like, why not just say it that way? But, but most of those instructions were actually directed to dudes. And then the follow-up in the New Testament, like Eric was just reading, that from Jesus, that was directed to dudes. And it, and it um, as I was reading this section in, in chapter 5 about the, you know, the test of the unfaithful wife, it actually made me think of Bathsheba. Mm. So mm. David's, David's king. Um, he sees her. He summons her. He has her. Like, what were her rights? We're not told anything about her involvement. Was she was she even able to deny him? Would yeah. she have? Um, just because he married her later, does that undo? Like like what was that? If you can think how awkward that would be. Like there's, the, you see what I'm getting at? Like th- those can be. That seems like very very complex relationship. You know, you have a man of power. He sees a married woman. He come. He tells her to come to the palace. He has her sexually. She gets pregnant. And and it, it's, it brings up the question, and, and I don't know the answers to this, but it brings up the question, like, in a patriarchal society, what are the woman's rights? What can she say no to? What can she not say no to? You know, why was this David's sin to bear? I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff about David's sin because he took another man's wife. Well, the other man's wife was there. Like, what was her, what was her involvement? Doesn't talk about her sin. You know, so there's, there's some curiosity for mm-hmm. me in all of in all of this but that at least in this section that made me feel a little bit better mm-hmm. it, do, it seems like there was definitely there's a lot of um the, the perspective put on that's probably the wrong word but we had the, the society was different and so instructions were given for the society that that existed at the time mm-hmm. um i mean it would be my impression that sexual prowess and promiscuity were not the woman's um they weren't so much a female issue at the time i got a funny look on my face here i know because i'm not sure if i'm even making sense but uh our society and uh, forgive me for for maybe sounding you know i don't know call me what you will women have been um I got the wrong word in my head. They feel freer now. They uh, they have they ha- they have more leeway in society. They 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 have more influence and agency maybe agency. That's that's probably a good word. They have a lot more agency than they did then, and so they feel freer to express themselves sexually. They feel freer to express themselves in the workplace and just in in society is in general where here in the old testament it was a very 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 different thing and and um 
I can just imagine that that an overall uh, societal look at things is going to affect affect the individual as well, where we wouldn't have needed so much instruction for the women because it wasn't such a problem for the women. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. You know, I don't know. It's just it's different societies. Speaking of difference, we get to six in the Nazarite vow, which is yeah, pretty interesting stuff. <laughs> and you know, I know I've read this before, but I must have just totally been glossing over numbers because what is a year or two ago <laughs> we in our Bible study group we read the whole Bible, you know, in a year's time, and. I always thought of everything that was written here as being specifically for Samson. When we talk about Samson, and he talks about how Samson's going to be a Nazarite, don't cut his hair, don't drink wine, nothing from grapes, all these different things. That wasn't just Samson. That was every Nazarite. Mm-hmm. So, Yes, yes, Matt, that's true. Yeah, and I well, think it's interesting. I thought it was Karen. interesting, Karen. Thank you very much for making me feel bad. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I just thought. I just thought it just struck me interesting that it, that because I mean, as a kid, you grow up learning the story of Samson, and I just thought that that was something that God wanted specifically for Samson. But no, this was just a. This was Nazarites in general. Well, and you could you could take the vow, and then you could be done with the vow, and there were certain things you were supposed to do. And again, we talked. I mentioned earlier about cherry picking things. Mm-hmm. Is that I know people will go back here and say, ah, see right here, they're not to drink wine. And that means you shouldn't drink wine either. Mm, right. And and I'm like, well, okay, so one, I'm not a Nazarite, and there's a there's a whole lot of stuff going on with Nazarites. And just to that point, they were allowed to drink after their Nazarite vow, so that doesn't hold the water the best. Because I've heard people say, like, oh, you can't drink strong drink. I'm like, yeah, but they weren't supposed to eat raisins either. <laughs> right. <laughs> no grapes, I, no raisins. Yeah, right. And I just like it doesn't make sense if we're going to use that as our form of argument. It's like, well, no raisin bran for you. <laughs> well, based on what? You and so I think it's important to say, what was this? And in verse thirteen, this is when the time of his separation had been completed. And I think that that was the thing for the Nazarite is like they were set aside for a time for a purpose, and they were. I mean, we have equivalent of that today. It's like, look, I'm going on a, you know, maybe not a vision quest, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing a, a time of, um, you know, refocusing and I'm going to stay away from social media or I am going to go on a diet or I'm going to do this special exercise plan for 21 days or whatever. And we realize that's a season, like that's a season for a specific purpose. And you've got this for the Nazarites, which is a, specific thing my point in all of that is just to say let's make sure we're reading things in context mm-hmm. not just cherry picking interesting things right yeah so if, if you're at all familiar with the story of samson then you know some of the things that they were told to do like i said let your hair grow you get you ingest absolutely nothing from grapes i don't really understand the me the reason for that but um because i've always thought of grapes as just a tasty snack that were actually kind of good for you but, um, but you also get haircuts, Matt, so clearly you are not... No Nazarite. Right. We'll move yeah. past the haircut part. We, we gathered that. Well, <laughs> we can move on. <laughs> Some of us took it to an extreme. <laughs> <laughs> but that goes um, to, but that goes to the point. 
is that like here in the Nazarites, they're not supposed to cut their hair. And it wasn't it wasn't just a few weeks ago we read in Leviticus that men are, you know, some you're supposed to let your hair grow certain parts of it. In other places, it says, do not let your hair grow long. And so mm-hmm. we've got to be super careful with those cherry picking things because you can end up with just about anything. Yeah. So yeah. the thing with me is like I look back and, you know, we're reading these sort of as a sweep and and I. I get the same impression like what what Eric just said, like in these circumstances, these people should do this or not do that or do this thing over here. And I think to myself, living in that society, like how did you like what did these mean? What did these things mean to these people? Like when you looked at another person, could you look at their present? Were, were the Israelites themselves so familiar with the nuances of this that they could look at another person and understand, oh, that person's taken a Nazarite vow, and so that's why X, Y, Z. You know, it just... That's why it was done. I think you're absolutely right. That's why it was done. Mm-hmm. To make that distinguish, you can um, distinguish those people from afar. Well, the Nazarites were supposed to stay away from any dead bodies. They couldn't, even their own close relatives. There were some, you know, with being unclean, you you wouldn't, generally speaking, you wouldn't be considered unclean if you touched the body of your close relative. You know, uh, I think parents maybe were allowed and siblings were allowed, but not for the Nazarites. They weren't supposed to touch them at all. And if they did, then they had to go through this whole ordeal to... to um, be reconsecrated. They'd have to go through several. Uh, they'd have to make several sacrifices. They. It seems like they would have to cut their hair a couple of times because there's a point where it talks about how what was in the past was now gone, and they would have to basically start everything all over. Yeah, uh, same period of re. So when they rededicate, it's for the same period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just very interesting. If something happened, I mean, like we talked about. Um, accidental sin talks about if somebody happened to die close to them, you know, you know, I don't know that that just, just happens generally, but if you somehow or other, somebody died next to a Nazarite, now he's quote unquote defiled and he has to go through all this, but he could, he could regain his Nazarite status, I guess, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. So just uh, so I, sort of interesting. I wonder what the word Nazarite means. Does anyone know? I should have looked that up. Yeah, I should have looked it up. I don't know. I don't know. And does it have anything to, you know, any relation oh, to the city is. Nazareth? Uh, Nazarite means holy unto the Lord. So just dedication. Just a dedication. Okay. It's interesting that in the New Testament, the word, like you said, the, the uh, Jesus of Nazareth, that came to be a place with a really bad reputation. Yes. Nothing yeah. good. Nothing good could come from Nazareth. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. The chapter ends with a blessing that you've probably heard before, and this is where it comes from. This is really a cool blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I know we've heard that in other places before. I, I think I've been at some church services where they would just end the service with that. Um, it's a really, it's a, it's a good blessing. It's, it's really good. And this is where it comes from right here in numbers chapter six, well, chapter seven, the, were you say something? I say, yeah, I mean, it's a cool thing because it's, um, 
it's uh, we used to say that at the end. I went to a little school and church school in uh, back in the day, and we would say this at the end of every day. Hmm. Just a good, uh, probably just a good way to, if you could just start your day, even if you could just have that going, you know, get it, it'd probably be a good thing to memorize, memorize it and remember it. And, um, if that was, if that was our perspective going out every day, just think of how differently we would treat people, how, how, and how we would perceive the world too. You know, we have a tendency these days to look at everything that's dark and grim and 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 uh, figure out how to avoid those things. But if we would look at it this way, where we're looking to what's good, you're going to change your whole perspective on on life, I think. Well, we were going to read through Numbers chapter seven, and that ends with some offerings that were made by the leaders. And I talked about these before, where leaders of the tribes, they made an offering and all in all, it consisted of six covered carts and 12 oxen. And some of them were given to different uh, Levites. The Gershonites got two carts and four oxen. The Merari got four carts and eight oxen. And the Kohatites didn't get anything. And that was because their stuff was supposed to be carried on their shoulders. They didn't get to load all the things onto the carts. They got to, they got to carry them. So basically, this is a chapter where copy-paste would be handy. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what, you know, I could have got through and, okay, and this guy gave this. And then you find out, oh, the next guy, he gave the exact same thing. I yeah. gotta be honest with you. I skimmed through that chapter. Times I started realizing it's like it's like you're going, <laughs> wow! It's every single thing. It's like Moses. We get it. You could have just gone straight to, uh, you could have gone straight to the end of the chapter and told us everything that got given. But you know, you can't get. You got to give the guy credit for being thorough. Um, it is it it is good for for historical reference. Knowing everybody gave the exact same thing, he could have said it quicker. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but there, but so that yeah, got out. Then they had, um, after that, they did a dedication offering and one offering per liter per day for 12 days. And again, this is the, uh, this is where that cut and paste in total. Cause I'm not going to go through each one in total. There was 2,400 shekels of silver given 120 mm. shekels of gold given. There were 12 bulls, rams, male lambs, and kid goats given. And you can divide that up evenly between the 12 tribes, and you know exactly what they gave. And then a peace offering of 24 bulls, 60 rams, 60 male goats, and 60 lambs. I am amazed that there's still this much gold and silver in the place after after everything we read about uh, went into uh, (laughs) making, making the tabernacle. And these people are carrying this with them. Just, uh, I guess we know they have some carts, though. So, but still, but, boy, that is a yeah, lot of stuff to carry. When they left Egypt, everybody walked away with something. Yeah, everyone. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's not like one guy's carrying. People. Right, right. But so that is uh, where this week's reading ends. Is with that. Uh, I think next week we'll try to go through verse or uh, chapter fourteen, which takes us up through. Uh, when Israel refuses to enter Canaan, we get into some regular story stuff again, and not so much just statistics. We get, get a little more into the meat of things, and uh, a little more interesting reading. We actually got—I think we got some pretty good uh, insight out of out of this week's reading, though. I was—I'll uh, be honest—I was a little worried. Didn't know how it was going to go, but um, we're we looking look at it's the same way, though. 
We did. You know, I totally and expected pearls and everything. What was that? I think we could find pearls and everything. We just have to. I think we just sit down and do it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that's going to do it for us for this week. Keep in mind always that you can reach us at ATTB Podcast at the Adventure ORG if you have any questions or comments. You can see us on Facebook at Adventure Through the Bible. Please be sure to share the podcast with your friends and subscribe to us so that you get us in your feed each and every week. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening.